Welcome to the seventh episode of Easter Bowl 2024 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always are the Canadians celebrating 400 episodes of Putting Up With My Shit, who after last week we now have a psychologist on standby for, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who we do ask nicely every week to stop messing it up, but yet he persists, David Vindley. What the fuck is this? <laughs> I cannot tell you how joyful those screen caps have already become. They are already regular features in my work chat. I think that moment is probably my favourite moment since the Peter Yarn gif from El Salvador. It's brilliant. Obviously Fonz was going to be the banner this week. There was no question. And I think we've had some busy weeks respectively. I mean, Logan delayed the podcast. Yeah, I went to a hockey game yesterday. And uh, and uh, as punishment for delaying this podcast, the away team did score nine goals with a final score of nine to one at the hockey game. Wow! Most people left halfway through the third period. <laughs> Understandable. It was a hockey game, and you were very very lucky that I'd already uh, written you an intro because otherwise it would have been the guy who hates hockey so much he went and saw a match just so he didn't have to speak to us yesterday, Logan Saunders. And uh, we've had some big Vidim news this week in the fact that they're going back to Vondel CS for the first time in five years. So I have broken my Saunders-related curse of getting things cancelled. Because did I mention I went to the finale in 2019? I think I think it might have passed you guys by, actually. Yeah. Yeah, weren't you seen on screen for like uh, 1.2 seconds? I was, and it was our banner that week because I'm a narcissist. Yep, that sounds about right. Did you see Rick? Uh, I did see Rick, yes. Um... He looked decidedly awkward, but it was his first live finale at that point, so I'd be awkward too. Um, I also had a bit of a um, a realisation a few days ago that I might be a terrible person. It's taking you this long? Yeah, well, you had an epiphany? I had an epiphany, yeah. Because you guys know I love, I love birthdays, and one of my quizzy friends, Jordan, it's his birthday on the day that this comes out on Wednesday. So I thought... He loves a podcast all about trivia, so I'll I'll get him a shout out. And due to an unfortunate um, administrative error, he he is twenty seven tomorrow. But I might have told them that he's forty. Um, so he hasn't listened to that episode yet, and I know he hasn't because I'm fully expecting to get as many vile swear words as he knows in my Facebook Messenger as soon as he listens to that podcast, because I'm the very first thing on that podcast. It's, let's look at the postbag. And Michael Harpstone wants to give a, a big birthday shout-out to his friend Jordan Cox, who's celebrating his big 40th birthday today. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy 40th to Jordan, and happy Groundhog Day to Daniel Peake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Happy, happy, happy Groundhog Day, Daniel Peake. I hope, I hope all of your, may all of your dreams come true. See, he's going to think that we've forgotten about this. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) This is the joke that keeps on giving. And uh, the one final thing that I do want to mention in our preamble section is Traitors US. But not the actual episode, because I've not seen it yet, even though I know what happens. It is instead the Cruise of Deception, which we forgot to mention last week. Um, The only people, of course, being deceived are the people who actually signed up for it at $1,500 higher than you can actually get that cruise for. And I was complaining about how much I paid to go see a bunch of, you know, proper competitive reality TV stars uh, at Hearts of Reality uh, a couple years ago. This makes me feel much better now about 
spending like a hundred bucks on it. <laughs> the cruise is on Oasis of the Seas next uh, next May, I think it is, and um, it's filled with all people from Traitors US and leading teams, and the, and one person will walk away with up to fifty thousand dollars. And the problem is, the tickets cost two thousand two hundred dollars. The actual cruise itself only costs about seven hundred seventy-six. I think it was when I looked. And also on top of that, if you do the maths, it's about $2.2 million that is being spent if everyone sells out their teams, which a lot of people haven't so far. Where's the rest of the money going? Into their pockets. <laughs> and, and the best bit is because it's up to $50,000. We don't know that there's not a pot drain. Oh, they're going to have a test of integrity on the ship. They may just do Integrity Will Be Rewarded as the very final challenge with the captain. Dear God, anyone who signs up for that, I mean, if you've got $1,500 spare to do that cruise, give it to us on the Patreon. We will we will make great use of it. Don't give it to Washed Up Reality Stars and also Sandra, Queen Stays Queen. Or they can just, you know, buy a ticket and fly to Sandra's house. Uh, that would probably be cheaper too. Yeah. If they went on the cruise themselves, it's like $780, which is actually a decent deal, especially this far out. It's seven nights, I think. But yeah, you don't need to spend $2,200 to do the Cruise of Deception. But yeah, I've done a lot of Royal Caribbean cruises and um, never on Oasis of the Seas, which is the cruise they're going on. It's a cruise ship of about 5,600 people and only about 1,000 of those will be on the quote-unquote Cruise of Deception, at least intentionally on the Cruise of Deception. That's going to confuse the hell out of the other 4,600 people on board. Oh, it'll be filled with old people because it's after Easter as well. No kids will be on board. So it'll just be full of retirees. It'll be hilarious. How fun. That seems like a fun group. (laughs) And the final bit of podcast-related admin is, of course, the bingo card. Fuzzy didn't get a bingo last week. Bindles has offered a a mystery PC Yankers gamble, but he's not going to tell us what it is until the end of the episode because he's being a meanie pants. Yes, I am. Even though I hate surprises. I know. That's why I'm doing it. So previously the team did maths like the Mayans before getting in Steph and learning a Yucatan dance. At an analogue test, everyone was challenged to remember their exit list, but it was Tuska who was the next to exit, as she was the fourth person gone from the season. She gone! <laughs> she gone! <laughs> <laughs> I love how that was the centre square last week, and it was the one time we all forgot to do it. <laughs> like, we are recording this on Tuesday, as, as Logan said, he was, you know, busy, quote-unquote busy, um, at the hockey match yesterday. So, it's Tuesday when we're recording this. We didn't deliberately avoid the the Shigong square last week. It was a genuine accident, which makes it even funnier. We forgot! Yeah, we forgot. <laughs> yeah, when we realised we forgot it, um, I put it in the notes for this week so we wouldn't actually forget to do it for Tuska. So she got. And we begin on day 12 in Merida and it's time for another new treasurer. Rianne said she'd forgotten that they were going to switch. And Babs is in charge of the pot now. Well, I guess these scenes beat Rick telling us exactly what we've just done on the previous segment. I like how he explains the whole concept of how uh, somebody wins the mole. In his intro, because I'm thinking, it's 2024. I know that even with long-established reality shows, you get some new viewers. But with Vidim, half the country watches it. I, I, I don't know how many more new viewers you would add in on top of that. So I like how he spends about 45 seconds explaining the whole concept of 
how a winner is determined. I was kind of disappointed they didn't put it before the credits this time because, like, the whole thing about, you know, he was basically going on and on about it, and then it was like, the only way to begin is by beginning with the credits. I thought that, that would have been a lot funnier if they'd broken the fourth wall and just gone from that straight into the credits. Yeah, that would have been a better setup. Yeah, what would have been even funnier is if they then did a version of the titles that actually had the orchestra playing on it. That's what I would have done, is have Rick before the titles, but then have it actually enter with the music and the, frankly, badass version of Horatio that we get in this uh, in this episode. So Rick says that after maybe the most difficult test, Tuska had to leave the game. No matter how many yokers you earn, the red screen awaits if you're on the wrong mole. The remaining six are having a chaotic brunch and another look to the future. Just what would they do to see the questions of the final test? But first, we must begin at the start. And the episode title is Preview. They are at the art school of the Yucatan, and an orchestra is playing the theme music. In like an empty dungeon. <laughs> yeah. Rosario is incredibly excited about this. Yeah, he was like moaning, and I, th- I thought he climaxed in his first uh, confessional talking about it. He just couldn't stop giggling. Well, he does talk to Case all the time about Bach. And I know that we've discussed my love of a badass choir before, especially in in the start of South Africa last year. I love a badass orchestra as well. This is my jam, this challenge. There is something really beautiful about very talented musicians playing well for me. Yeah. I know you haven't heard of Hugo Pharrell, Logan, but had have, have you heard of him, Michael? I mean, I was vaguely aware of the name because obviously our intro music is a, another version of Horatio by uh, Hugo Farrell, played by the wonderful Anthony Williams. So I was sort of vaguely aware, but I, I didn't go down the Google rabbit hole like I think you have. Yeah. So Rick mentioned the name and I thought, you know, that doesn't sound like the sort of, you know, classical music sort of name that, you know, I would have expected a song called Horatio to be by. So I went and Googled him. And, you know, instead of, you know, being like one of those sort of Bach Mozart types from, you know, the 1700s or whatever, this dude was born in the 70s and he was a finalist on Belgium's Got Talent. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Which which was very weird. Not for composing or anything. He's just got one of those voices that, you know, he can do like really, really high, like almost a castrati sort of voice. There's a couple of clips of it on YouTube. It's, It's like... The judges have the reaction almost as big as when Susan Boyle started singing that first time. There's like that sort of reaction that he got. I, I don't know if he won, but um, I think he was runner-up, and the winner of that season was uh, Willie Summers, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we've got nine whole weeks of Willie Summers jokes to come away. <laughs> when we were talking about Willie Summers a few days ago, because. Spindles was asking about Go to Greece. So we were making loads of jokes about Willie Summers, obviously, because, you know, Logan's obsessed with him. But I was thinking back <laughs> to when we talked to Gilles the second time and him roasting you about the Willie Summers jokes. It just it brought me such unbridled joy to think of it again. Hey, if I go to Greece, I might make Kathy. You're about 40 years younger than his, his usual fans, Logan. <laughs> I think they're all gonna. I think all of his fans are gonna be on the cruise of deception, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the four bought tickets for Sandra. No, nobody buys tickets for Sandra. Nobody we know would, at least. Especially not people who've never done a cruise before and actively want to burn money here. Um, 
Yeah, I can't wait for you to interact with Papa Bear again for the first time in five years, Sodders. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> so Rick says that they only heard a taste of Horacio by Hugo Farrell, the theme song of Beast of Mole. It's up to them to ensure that the conductor Alejandro gets the rest of the score, and the more complete the score is, the more money they will make for the pot. There are five musical assignments hidden in the building, and each of them is worth part of the score. He says he really wants to hear them play it all, so don't fuck it up. And Case has one of the most unintentionally cringy confessionals ever, where he says, no molestation allowed here. That was a direct quote, and molestation was spelled exactly the way you thought it would be. Yeah. Thinking that could have been edited out of the episode. I was laughing because I've just seen what my next note was, and I was thinking back to uh, to Fuzzy's banner guesses earlier, because Fuzzy every week shortlists the banners that she's not going to use, but she thinks I will get a kick out of, and she's usually right with it. And one of them was um, an image from right at the start of this challenge with everyone walking to the first challenge. <laughs> and I think she... She described it as something like Rianne's pace. And genuinely, <laughs> my next note is they have 20 minutes and are sauntering at Rianne's pace. <laughs> it is so funny to me the fact that Rianne has one speed and it is slow. Something I noticed with uh, both challenges this episode is that, like with the orchestra, because it's we're in the Yucatan. And Rick speaks to the orchestra in English. And then during the picnic challenge, or the the brunch challenge, pardon me, when uh, Rick is talking to the locals, when it's established almost none of them speak English, Rick speaks to them in English anyway, and then switches to Dutch, as if the locals are going to understand what he's saying. I will say on that point, we've discussed over the years of Rick's tenure, how he's not really ever been confident speaking English. Nice. He's been very confident speaking English this season. And I did mean to mention it last week, because I think he spoke English last week as well. I think it's because he's been working on a diss track against us. Almost certainly. He has threatened to drown us in our own blood and hold us face down in our own blood, yeah. He spoke English a few times last year too, with the world-famous wildlife photographer and the hotel. and Yeah, he spoke English last year and the previous few years, but he's never been very confident with it. I've never mm. sounded very confident with it. Whereas he sounded much more confident with it this year. And Rick doesn't get much Good praise you, on this Rick. podcast, but he's going to get some praise there. Good for you, Rick, indeed. I like how Anna said that she wanted to absorb uh, Rosario's talent completely, as if you know she's the freaking Riddler from Batman. How would you guys have done with these mini-assignments? Not well. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm very annoyed we didn't get an answer to what that Pictionary thing was supposed to be. Jackal! 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 <laughs> I, I think it's way funnier that we didn't, to be honest. Yeah. Pictionary I wouldn't have been any good with. Better than Rianne, though. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, some of last season's people could have been better than Rihanna. at that. I, I wouldn't have been able to do the music definitions. I, I could maybe... Maybe do the sheet music one, like the hanging the notes for the wall. But like, I, w- I wouldn't have been sure if they were like on the right notes, if that makes sense. But I would have been able to get like the, you know, this note is higher than the last one, sort of thing. I probably could have done the, like the kids piano thing, except for the fact that those songs were mostly, you know, Dutch nursery rhymes that I've never heard of before. Like if they were, 
songs that I was aware of would have been fine with it. Weirdly, I think the painting the song was probably the easiest one, which surprised me because like when I was, you know, watching them and sort of watching them be explained for the first time, I was like, that one seems impossible. I think for me, I have no musical inclination at all, which would fuck me royally in this challenge. But I think the musical definitions I would have had a decent crack at because you didn't have to get them all correct. And that's sort of a fairly common quiz topic. So I feel like that's the sort of thing you can absolutely sort of puzzle out, especially if you know a little bit of Italian. And some of them are a lot more notable than others. Like the definition of piano is a fairly well-known one, for example. And forte and that sort of stuff, you know, means strong and all that. So I think that's the sort of one you can puzzle out. Uh, Pictionary I would have had no chance with, either as the drawer or the answerer, to be honest. Although, obviously, it did bring us our highlight of the season and maybe highlight of the live Vidim seasons. What is she on? (laughs) What is she doing? What drugs did she pick up in the Yucatan? What is she on? What the fuck is this? Is this a Salvador Dali painting, or are we trying to guess a song here? Apparently, there was a hidden clue in one of the mini-tasks, but I'll put a pin in that for the reunion. Does it confirm the theories that we were discussing last week or not? Yes. Excellent news. Yeah. So the first mini-assignment is for one person to play songs on a piano and the others to guess them. If they get three of the five right, they will get a piece of the score. The second one is to listen to a song and hang the notes on a giant stave so the glockenspiel player can play it. And I will point out that was a glockenspiel, not a xylophone. Anyone who says it was a xylophone is an idiot. Just one moment while I go and change my notes. I was very, very careful to check which one it was. It was a glockenspiel. And they decide to volunteer Case and Rosario for it. And the song is Frere Jacca. I thought it's Brother John. Brother Jack. Ah, uh, Brother in, Jack. In Dutch, Brother it's Father Jack. Jacob. And it's like the third or fourth time they've used it on this show. Yeah, wasn't it used in like the Angela seasons at least once or twice? Oh, that's what he had. That's what Core had to play on the freaking bagpipes, wasn't it? Yep. And then that ended up being his intro shot for every single episode <laughs> for the whole season. The third one requires one person to draw the songs that someone else could identify, and six or more of the ten songs earned part of the score. This one was impossible, regardless of who was drawing. I think it probably depends on what the songs were, because I don't think yeah. you know draw six songs in 20 minutes is that particularly hard no but the other caveat is something that i haven't mentioned yet in the fact that each person has to do two of the challenges at most you can do two of them so unless you're going to isolate those two people then you're fucked and they have to walk or run between the challenges too and if rianne's there which she is they have to saunter between the challenges did they even run to hand in the sheet to Rick? I thought I had a note here saying they are way too slow getting to Rick with the sheet of music. Oh yeah, was it, they were too late with their last one, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, but they only completed it with eight seconds left. They weren't going to get there in time regardless. You need to be Usain Bolt to get there in time. My favourite thing about this entire challenge to begin with, though, is the fact that Rianne doesn't even volunteer. Anna volunteers Rianne to do it, and she just kind of shrugs and accepts it. <laughs> Yeah, Rian, you can draw, right? Uh, I can't. I can't draw Anna, but whatever. Or what? I think in my notes I have Rian says I can't draw, but whatevs. I'll just. Yeah. I guess I'll. I guess I'll draw, because Anna says I can draw. I'm kind of wondering if maybe 
Rian had like an injury or something that we didn't know about, but everyone else did. Because like they keep putting her in places where she can sit down or do nothing. And sort of, it only seems to be half Rian's choice. Yeah, I mean, as as we discussed last week, she was absolutely ruined by the physical intensity of Vistamol, apparently. So mm. God knows what ruined her. Um, and Fonz ends up being the identifier, and he audibly what the fucks when Rianne starts drawing. The zebra crossing? <laughs> oh, for the yellow submarine, she draws a zebra crossing. Well, because the Beatles walked across a zebra crossing on their one album cover. Bindles, are you aware of the, um, I think it's the DLR station in London called Abbey Road? I know Abbey Road exists. Yeah, Abbey Road, the DLR station, is the other side of London. So they actually have to have a sign there, and it's the all the signage is Beatles-themed anyway, just to really confuse people. They have to have a sign there saying, if you're looking for the Abbey Road crossing, you need to go back on the DLR and change. <laughs> it's not this Abbey Road. So the fourth one, as we've mentioned, is to connect the musical terms to their meanings. 12 correct matches earns a part of the score out of a possible 18. Bab said she studied for this, and her and Anna do it. What? I missed it on that part. Yeah, it's another one of your mucky videos, Saunders. We've gone away from the bestiality stuff we mentioned last week. It's just straight on Babs and Anna doing it now. Yeah, this is more highbrow stuff. It's more classy. It at least wouldn't get you a, uh, a visit from the local police department unless they found out that you'd recorded it using a camera in a smoke alarm. And I hope to God that you guys know what I'm referring to there. <laughs> no, please explain. You know how um, Hulk Hogan got like $2 billion when his sex tape got leaked? Yeah. The reason it got leaked is because I think it was, I think he was having sex with his friend's wife and his friend recorded it through a camera he put in the smoke alarm. Oh, wow. I think that's the, the order. But yeah, the leaked sex tape was recorded through a camera in the smoke alarm. There is a fascinating book about um, the downfall of Gorka, was it? Oh, that's the website, yeah. Uh, The downfall of that website that leaked leaked Hulk Hogan's sex tape. There's a fascinating book about it that I read a few years ago. That isn't as sort of Saunders as it sounds. It's, It's really interesting all about the kind of machinations that went into it and how Peter Thiel the guy who created PayPal, was wronged by that website and outed by that website about 10 years beforehand and held a grudge for that long and found his mm-hmm. his way to get back at them and uh, bankrolled Hulk Hogan's lawsuit. I was about to say, I bet he paid, they paid for his lawyer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Case uh, and Rosario completes Frere Jacker and earn the first piece of the score. While they're doing the mini assignments, the orchestra continues playing what music they have got. They then move on to the piano assignment, and it turns out that it's Dutch children's songs, so we would have no chance at this. Bonds has a confessional where he says that he knew Euron and Anna couldn't draw, but it appears Rianne can't either. Despite everything, Bonds does manage to guess some of the songs. Thriller, It's Raining Men, It's Kites Flying, Letters to My Mother. Those were all of his guesses in sequence about the same picture. (laughs) How do you go? I don't know how you go from Thriller to It's Raining Men, but... Case has the inherent disadvantage of being nearly as old as Bindles, so it's been a while since he's heard kids' songs, and he ends up having to commandeer <laughs> Rianne to help. <laughs> I, I had exactly the same note. They, you know, they collapse in a heap at the piano because they put trained musician Rosario in the push buttons bit, 
and very old man Keith in the guest children's songs book. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone was assigned in the worst role possible for this challenge. <laughs> like Babs and Anna are supposed to be the two most musically inclined people, and they're the ones that are doing the least musically involved task of connecting the the definition words. Well, it's Babs and Rosario, technically, because Babs does make music and so does uh, Rosario. Yeah. But yeah, I think Anna has a fair degree of musicality as well from what we saw. And Fonz in case, not so much. Fonz hands in Anna and Babs' answers before he goes to the fifth mini assignment, where one person has to paint to represent the notation of a song. And Babs does it that badly that Anna does ask if they need a psychologist on standby. <laughs> You know you done fucked up when someone asks for a Rorschach test. Case three, Anna and Rosario then try their answers for the piano assignment, and it's not good. And then Fonz gets the right song as the time runs out for the graphical notation challenge. Rick confirms that they completed two of the five mini challenges, so that is 800 euros of 2,000 for the challenge. He also gives Alejandro the other three scores because he's desperate to hear it, or more likely, it's a clue. And Rosario starts visibly crying at how beautiful the orchestra are playing. And then the orchestra started playing My Neck, My Back. But that scene didn't make it onto air. The orchestra launched into a beautiful orchestrated version of WAP. Yeah, either WAP or My Neck, My Back. Either of those. That would have made the episode for me. They needed to cut to Rosario crying, saying, Oh, this is so beautiful. While My Neck, My Back is playing. Did, did I tell you guys that um, work decided that they wanted us to take part in a lip-sync battle? Oh, lip-sync battle. That sounds terrible. Yeah, before Christmas they decided that they wanted to do an entry in a lip-sync battle that another team had um, issued the challenge for, and uh, they decided that the song that they wanted us to lip-sync to was the theme song to Friends, I'll Be There For oh, You by God. the Rembrandts. That's a terrible choice. That would be like in like the if if there was a list of ten or fifteen songs to lip sync to that I think would just be a terrible and not fun choice. Um, that would be one of them. It was so unsuccessful that they actually tried to force us to do it at the end of the meeting a few weeks ago. Sadly, my suggestion for the song of WAP was shot down. I did think it would be very funny <laughs> to try and make the team lip sync to WAP for some reason. <laughs> um. There was a very interesting unaired clip from this challenge as well. I don't know whether you guys saw it. Uh, compared to last season where I was sort of, you know, looking at all of the hint videos and all of that sort of stuff for content because nothing was happening and I needed to podcast about it. This season I've sort of been very good at not looking at anything until about the last week or so. Yeah, so the, the unaired clip that they like to release is usually like the person getting eliminated going to Loser's Lodge or whatever. They released a clip of the end of this challenge where Rosario conducted the orchestra to play Horatio after Alejandro did as a bonus. And that got me thinking. I'm like, Rosario is very good at conducting. I wonder if he's got a background Mm. in uh, conducting. And that then led me down a Google rabbit hole of, I think there has been a Dutch version of Maestro, the Mm. old BBC TV show, probably... 17 years old at this point where celebrities get trained to um to conduct the royal philharmonic orchestra at the royal albert hall and then i remembered actually we've discussed maestro on this podcast before 
because we discussed it at the end of El Salvador, Nicaragua, because mm. Rosario won Maestro in 2021, hosted, of course, by Fritz Sissing, because every single program on the network is. One of the other people on that season, though, was a little bit familiar to us, because his name is Peter Jan Hagens. Oh, wow. Maestro Peter Jan Hagens. Yeah, I remember when we were discussing towards the end of El Salvador, Nicaragua, discussing that Peter Jan had basically not done any proper on-screen roles since he does the voiceover for Dutch Hunted, and he also appeared on Maestro, and I didn't make the connection that actually Rosario won that season until I looked it up. So yeah, huh. Rosario is trained as a conductor, but he did in the process beat Peter Yan to be a conductor. Peter Yan went out like fourth. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm fudging it slightly. Also on the previous season of Maestro before that was, of course, Arthur and Courteous. Huh. She didn't win either. But yeah, there's another uh, another mole connection for Rosario that I thought was quite interesting. But yeah, he oh, um, wow. he did conduct the orchestra beautifully as well. Have any of these people done that photography show that we had to listen to last year? I haven't looked that up, but probably, let's be honest. There's like 10 people who do these shows now, so they've probably all done it. I like how so small the community is for Dutch reality TV. I think Soundos has done seven or eight different Dutch reality shows at this point. Yeah, Sundas has run out of the Dutch ones and is now moving to the Belgian ones. Oh, really? She was on Dislims to Men's last year in, uh, in Belgium. I, I saw in one of the discords, someone's going through and watching all of the old Venom seasons. And the, like the first person, like the first celebrity season... There's someone who's done the traders, and and he, you know, you know, surprised that there was some crossover. And I'm like, yeah, there's like ten of them. So at dinner, Rianne asks if they want to share how the assignment went, and Case immediately says no. She should have paid attention. And then we cut to day thirteen in Kuzama, approximately fifty kilometers southeast of Merida, and Rianne immediately starts to itch at the thought of having to use a tuk-tuk. To be fair, at least she does get to sit down. Very true. I thought it was a bicycle taxi last week, so I was a little bit worried for Rianne having to navigate it. But no, she gets to sit down and just sit on a moped and prove that she's a bit of a speed demon, actually. At least compared to Fonz. Rick says in a restaurant down the road there are 30 guests who've reserved a seat for brunch in 30 minutes' time. and They'll be serving and also picking up the guests. It's up to them to get the guests to the restaurant on time and learn about the guests, as after brunch they will be subjected to a test. And two of them will immediately start serving, and four of them will immediately start driving. They choose Case and Rosario to serve immediately, leaving Rianne, Anna, Fonz, and Babs driving. And this is the suspect list question this week. Where did the mole start? So, I can understand not having Case driving, because it's not as much, it's not as physical to just serve. But I'm very surprised they had Rosario serve, since he would have been one of the more physically, probably the most physically fit person in this group. I think maybe they thought there was some sort of trick to it that, like, you know how sometimes the, the divisions are a little bit deceptive? I think maybe they thought that was the case here. Yeah, I mean, you probably want Anna to be picking people up because she's got the Spanish knowledge, obviously. I like how that's just, that's like just implied every single episode. All right, we have one part of the task where you have to interact with locals. All right, Anna, you're in. Oh, your own's been executed, so it's all on you, Anna. And Babs, uh, good luck. <laughs> Rihanna obviously wanted to drive something, so that puts her on that side. So then you've got Babs, Case, uh, Rosario, and Fonz. Well, you don't want Fonz speaking to people, let's be honest. So 
Now that you want fans to sit on it. Case Rosario or... <laughs> that, means it's, that means it's Case Rosario or Babs who are there. And then I think Babs wouldn't have been that confident speaking to people, so it kind of by default leaves Case and Rosario. Yeah. So if you're Rian, which option would be less physical? The serving because you're standing up for the whole duration of the challenge? Or the driving because, I mean, you do get to sit, but you do have to pedal the whole time. The driving because it's motorized and she's also under an umbrella. Yeah, it's a, it's a motorbike, Logan. Right. And uh, my, my favorite thing that they don't even draw attention to in this entire episode is the fact that the time doesn't even start and Rianne already speeds off. Like, Rick hasn't even <laughs> said go to them and Rianne has already careened out of that square. Well, you know, she's going at Rianne's pace. And each of the 30 guests is waiting by the side of the road wearing a necklace with a piece of fruit on it, which does sound like the sort of party that Saunders would attend. And now we get to the banner of the episode, despite Fuzzy's guess, the banner of the episode is, of course, Fon stalling the moped. I've rewatched <laughs> this scene a few times, and it is delightful every single time. I think it's the NPC local who really uh, who really makes this scene a home run because it's just a guy. He's not saying he's not saying anything at all. He just is standing in the middle of the street for no reason and just casually tries to go up to Fonz once, and then Fonz is able to drive away again. So the so the local guy doesn't do anything, and then Fonz stalls again, and the local guy just casually just strolls up to him and says, just points to what he has to do. Genuinely, it took me two days to watch this episode because I was going backwards and rewatching this scene and the what the fuck is this scene over and over and over and over again. I, th- I think Fonz in this episode is probably the biggest tour de force we've had since After Brown Cordius. Absolutely. This episode justified everything I said about Fonz in week one. I had a gut feeling that he was going to end up being a Harmstone Favo and being hilarious. And he is. The best thing about the whole moped scene for me is the music because they give him the Amazing Race brass music for when he's just being a donut. <laughs> it's the umpar music that they play whenever anyone is stupid on Amazing Race. They put it <laughs> under him trying to mess with the moped. And then <laughs> the, like the score of this is just gorgeously hilarious. They tease him so much with it. It's brilliant. If you go back and watch this scene, just listen to the music and how much they take the piss out of fun with it. And also, the other fun thing about this is they bleep something he says, and yet they don't bleep the seabot later in this episode. So Fon somehow managed to find a more severe swear word than a seabot. Oh, wow. It's quite impressive. Yeah, because Case was the one who dropped the seabot in this episode, right? Yeah, there was a seabot in this episode which wasn't bleeped. And yet, I didn't spot this until I rewatched the the moped scene. He says two swears that are so bad they get bleeped. Yeah, which uh, the, I took note of that, thinking, what would you have to say to get bleeped on uh, Dutch television? Was it some sort of slur? <laughs> you can tell I'm Australian because I didn't even notice the sea bomb. Well, yeah, a sea bomb is just natural language in Australia. Yeah. Although on tomorrow night's maths, it is going to be a plot point. Someone getting cold one. I call you a C-bomb all the time. Yeah, we're used to that though, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> the other interesting thing as well is that did you guys notice the bunting in the garden restaurant? No. Uh, no, I did not notice the bunting. Did they get to first base? 
It is the Dia del Topo bunting again. Huh. Did they guard it well? They must have done, because they brought it with them from Mexico City. Was it the same bunting they used in the counter challenge as well? Oh, yes, maybe it was. I'm not 100% about that. It was definitely the same bunting as the first challenge, though. I like how uncomfortable Rianne was going down that one uh, side street where she sees the two men standing there, and she's just like, eh, I don't know if I want to pick them up. And she has to put her feet down to steer. <laughs> yeah. She can't do it. <laughs> uh, Babs finds a bumper crop of six guests for her Vuma kids, and she struggles with her lack of Spanish knowledge. Yeah, Babs is like, are you going? Are you... She's like, are you going to the brunch? <laughs> It's like, yes, yell louder, please, Babs. And slower. <laughs> El Brancho? El, El Brancho. <laughs> Anna finds her too, and she's got the advantage of speaking Spanish. And Fon says the journey is difficult because he is not fluent, but you're still trying to extract information. Is he talking about his moped driving abilities or being able to communicate with the locals? Yes. <laughs> I like how he, how he yells out to the random women saying, hey, do you need to be picked up? I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know if that's the smoothest technique to pick up women on the streets there, Fonz. And then Case makes me want to tear my entire skin off by greeting someone by asking them to, quote-unquote, come with Uncle Case. Uh, I think there's a... Pretty sure there's a video called that online. (laughs) (laughs) You left them a four-star review, didn't you? Yeah, four stars out of out of five. Four, yeah, it, it was almost five out of five, um, but I only I only gave it four stars. Um, and uh, Rosario can't speak a word of Spanish, which I find hilarious because there are multiple multiple towns in Spanish speaking countries that are called Rosario. So it just amuses me to no end that he just can't speak a word of Spanish. And then when he tries to talk to the one when the, he's trying to find out their jobs, he's like, "You cook, you." You cook food? You cook? You cook you cook food? <laughs> I'm thinking this is this is so uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> and then Rick appears and in quite fluent English says he hopes everyone enjoyed their lunch. The candidates must now arrange everyone in alphabetical order, and each correct person is worth their age in Euros, which will be doubled. Again, fuck off. Should we just leave you alone for five minutes to rant? I was about to say they were quite generous with the criteria for or, for how to order the people, because it could have been something so much more obscure with how to uh, order the locals. But at least they went with the most basic thing, which was uh, their name, which they could have just learned by saying Como se llama. <laughs> I did like Fonz trying to patronize Rosario with all the A names. <laughs> Alondra, Alicia, Anna. Alondra gave him a lot of trouble. So Rick then reads all the correct names off the phone, and they get to Charlie before they make a mistake, which is four people. They're worth 88 euros combined, which is doubled to 176, and rounded to 180 of 1,500 euros to the part. Again, fuck off. 8,505 euros out of a possible 85,433 by my count. I know your count is slightly off for the max, but I'm sure it's a similar, very obscure number. (laughs) Yes, it is. So he tells us to win, you need to know who the mole is, what they've done during the assignment, and as much as possible about their everyday life. But if you take a look to the future and see the final test questions, will that be an advantage? 
We're about to find out what they will give up in exchange, spoilers, probably the entire pot, for a look to the future. And we're back at the Hacienda from last episode's test too, which Rianne acknowledges. And they sit at the smallest table possible. I like how Case already thinks this would be the third challenge of the episode, because he says, I'm not standing up in case uh, me sitting down earns us money, like at the pool. Rick talks to them all individually, beginning with Rianne. He tells her that Kenneth is macked, and in this envelope are the questions for the final test. If she looks, that'll cost 500 euros from the pot. If all of them aren't tempted, that is worth 3,000 euros for the pot, as integrity will be rewarded. And she decides not to look. Just don't look. Just don't look. Guarantee void in Tennessee. <laughs> That's Paul Anka's guarantee. If they're going to revive Kenneth's muck for this, couldn't they have just revived Nietzsche's What It Lucked as well and just not made this a plot try and just, you know, pretended like it was and then just, you know, surprised them with it? Yeah. Like, I know people are going to expect me to old man yells at pot drains again. Especially with Integrity Will Be Rewarded, which, as we all know, had a terrible version in Netflix Mole, which ruined the entire twist, took out all the charm of it. And yes, this one doesn't have the thematic impact that the Belgia Germany version does. But I quite like it, because it fits in the season. Yeah. The dilemma about whether to look at the final test questions is great, especially as opposed to whether you look at dossiers of other people's information and stuff. I like the impact of the final test questions. Arguably, it's only 10 of them out of probably 30 or 40. But still, there is an actual genuine dilemma here, which is great. I think personally, given how many pot drains we've had this season, I probably would have said, it won't cost you anything if you look, but if nobody looks, we'll gain 3,000 euros. Probably you'd get more people looking then and more chance of someone bidding a high amount and getting it correct to take it out of the pot. But I don't think you needed the 500 euro dilemma here. I think you could have just done zero. Did Belgi deduct money for each person that looked? Did Belgia deduct money? That is a good question. I don't think they did. Yeah, I don't recall that either. I think because they uh, anticipated the 10,000 euro bid that was about to happen. <laughs> Now, Belkia didn't have any um, any monetary deduction. So, oh, one thing we didn't talk about for the first two challenges. Uh, if you were the mole, where would you position yourself in each of the first two challenges? I don't think it really matters in the first challenge, because obviously you can only do two of them at most. Um, the second one, I think you probably start off driving. I don't think you put yourself in the restaurant, because you can have more impact on the level of the pot by not getting people to the restaurant than anything else, I think. Yeah. Was that the one that found it suspicious that Rianne just showed up at the last second after time ran out with the last with those couple of passengers? She was just having a nice chat with him, wasn't she? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she kept putting her foot down. Yeah, I I don't think there's a logical place for the mole to be in the first challenge, because I don't think it matters that much because you can only do two of the mini challenges it is and potentially cost them eight hundred euros. And I feel like the when ordering the locals after Rick says, oh, it's alphabetical order, I feel like you could have just yelled out, just really confused everybody as to who was who really quickly amongst the chaos of sorting through almost 30 people, I think. I think it would have been very easy to be like, oh, yeah, this is Salise, Salim, Salim, wasn't he on uh, Grease season? Okay, she goes here, and then we have Charlie. I think the other 
thing that I will say on the age in euros thing is there are 30 people, there's a maximum of 1,500 euros. Just make it 50 euros per person. <laughs> For the love of everything holy. Like, you don't need to do this arsing about with, oh, they get 88 euros, which is double 276. Just give them 200 euros. It's almost exactly the same. I'm not going to go all old man yells at pot trades. I'm determined not to. I like. I bet. I bet there's just somebody on staff who's in, who's on the payroll strictly to come up with the most confusing way to distribute money in every challenge this season. Yeah, but he's retiring after this season. Like, nah, nah. Don't do fifty euros. Come up with some logic to it. <laughs> I think there's someone on the payroll who just comes up with twists to annoy me, to be honest, because they know they'll get attention out of it. So, Fonzie's someone next, just as Rosario tries to get up. He says that the group previously said if they get another opportunity to fill the pot, they would. He chooses, however, to look at the questions, and there are only ten in there. Babs is third, Anna's fourth, Rosario's fifth, and Case is last. Anna chooses not to look, as do Babs and Case. Rosario, however, does choose to look, and he uses his yoga theory once more. Rianne, Babs, Anna, and Case are then brought back and asked whether they think anyone looked, and he confirms that they did. They can bid money from the pot for an exemption for episode 7. If they got the highest bid and correctly guessed someone who looked, they will win the exemption. Babs was only 51 euros away from getting this exemption. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Although, the he, oh wait, did no, Anna didn't look. She guessed Anna. Yeah. So she wouldn't have got the exemption anyway. No, she wouldn't. How would you guys have played this? As a mole? Uh... Depends if anyone find if people are uh, really on to me as uh, as as the mole. I don't think you would if if people are on to me as the mole. I wouldn't be tilting the table too much in this challenge because I can bank on everyone else spending quite a bit of money for that exemption, especially when Babs is in the mix and when somebody has already been brought back after being executed. I don't think I would have looked at the envelope just simply because. You figure 10 questions in the finale, a lot of them are going to be who is in this position in this challenge. So they're sort of things you can guess anyway. So there's really only maybe five questions in there that are going to actually be helpful. And I don't think that's, you know, worth 500 euros for. But then sort of if, if I'm bidding, maybe, you know, you bid reasonably high to try and, you know, stop other people from getting the exemption. But then if you bid on somebody you know didn't look, then there's no money taken out of the pot and the exemption's out of play. So it doesn't really make a huge difference. I think you play defensively here. Yeah, I think this is an interesting challenge for us because obviously we've covered the original version of this challenge and we know what Papa Bear's logic was on what production said to the mole in that season. I think that probably the mole went into this going, I'm not going to be the highest bidder, but I am going to try and raise it as high as I can. So I think it's very interesting, assuming they all went in in the same order, that Anna bids lower than Babs does immediately afterwards. Because as a mole, if you go into that room, you'll have a chat with Rick that we won't see on the camera until the reunion, obviously going, how do you think you're doing? What do you think everyone's doing? And then Rick will say, well, someone did look at the dossier. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but someone did look at it. And here's what the current highest bid is. How are you going to play this? I think if you are the mole in Anna's position, for example, because obviously we're mega tunneled on Anna on this podcast, you get told by Rick that Babs has bid seventeen fifty on it. 
and you go, mm, I'll go a little bit lower then because nobody will know what I bid. Because all Rick says in the end is what the medium bid was, which he says is 1,500 euros, but I haven't worked out what the medium bid is. I suspect it's a bit lower than that. Yeah, I don't think they'll, yeah, I assume they weren't going to play the same way as as Belgium, just because with Babs in the mix too in the cast as well. Yeah, and also, as I said last week, this challenge was legitimately viewable in the Netherlands. There is a non-zero chance that if anyone's a big enough mole fan on this cast, that they will have seen Belgia, Germany. Because it's available on uh, on Avro on Avro's catch up service. Yeah, so I assume yeah these contestants are going to think it's going the the same strategy is going to be utilized. So they're going to be thinking, oh, case bid two thousand, the mole bid the highest in the in the Belgi season. So maybe cases the mole. I assume that was the meta gaming that was going on here. I seem to remember that Papa Bear said the original intent was that the mole wasn't going to be the highest bidder unless they really wanted to be. So I'm assuming that that may have carried over here, personally. I did like Case asking how much was in the kitty, just sort of because I think he was trying to sort of calculate how many players took the offer before he made his bid. But I was very surprised Rick didn't fall for it. I suspect Rick was very careful not to fall for that, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my other favourite thing that I do have to mention as well is the fact that I love Rianne's petulance. When she's like, well, someone took 500 euros out of the pot, so I'm going to take 550. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, Rianne, that's not going to be the winning bit. No. You're not even going to come close to the winning <laughs> bit, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, I'm, and, and I'm going to bid 550 and write a strongly worded letter. This isn't the prices right, Rianne. As much as this is Fonz's episode to make us laugh, Rianne's petulance did make me giggle. <laughs> So Rick confirms the two thousand euro bid and that it was from Case. He fingers funds, which means they end with minus three thousand euros of three thousand for the challenge, minus two thousand and twenty of six and a half thousand for the episode, and five thousand five hundred five euros of seventy nine thousand six hundred forty one for the season so far. He also confirms that more than one person looked by telling them how much the pot was actually at. And Rosario is a terrible liar. I like when he when everyone's asking him. When uh, I can't remember who it was specifically, where somebody asks Rosario, "Did you look?" and then his eyes are wide open, and he just goes, "Nay, nay." I'm thinking that's a that's a that's a bit of a tell, Rosario. You're kind of you're overreacting way more than everyone else that was being asked. Like his sweat, where he was perspiring and shaking. I'm thinking, I don't think anyone believes you, man. So it's now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and accents of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. And Kay says, we well know, has an exemption for this episode. Anna says there are only six people left. She doesn't suspect Babs and she trusts Rianne, so it's just the three guys who are suspicious to her. Babs says the time to spread is over. She said people went on three on the last test, so now they may only go on two. She goes all in on one person. Fonz is very sure because he completed the last test mainly on one person. The rest are still on three or four suspects. He plays his missing Yoka. Rosario says that Fonz and he share information and Babs and he share information, so he's sure that he gets the information from them that he needs to vote for the correct mole. So his chances are one in four. He's up against the two people he has a bond with and the mole. Rianne says Rosario is mysterious. She was once on Anna but now has to narrow her view. And Case plays his exemption, which means we get no information from him. I wish they showed the extended scene of Fonz going through his bag for ten minutes before pulling out that yoker. <laughs> You'd hope that he has been putting it right near the top of his bag. Did you notice something weird with one of the questions this week? No, I didn't. What's that? 
So one of the questions we see is where was the mole in the brunch challenge? And at least three of the tuk-tuks or, you know, at the tables, it doesn't list Fonz's tuk-tuk. So either they've messed up like they did with soy last season or maybe, I don't know, but I don't think we can take a lot of information about from, you know, who presses which button on the test for some some of these. Yeah. I like in the, the my favorite, uh, going back to the Vans scene really quickly, uh, when Case asks Rianne, oh, what's your favorite film? I wish Rianne tried to do Pictionary to draw what her favorite film is, <laughs> and then Fonz would have to try and guess it. She can't do Pictionary for the human centipede. It's not safe for television. <laughs> the only thing that gets censored in the episode other than whatever Fonz said that never aired. Yeah. So Rick tells them that they knew this execution was coming, but the odds have shortened with Casey's exemption. He will head to their final destination, Bacalar, and it's time to find out who will join him. Now, I, I did my description of how I reacted to the execution last week. I'm going to do it again, because Anna gets the first screen, and I'm like, oh good, there's like seven minutes left, she's probably safe, she gets a green screen. Great. Rhiannon and Fonz then get green screens, and I'm like, interesting, we're getting close, leaving just Rosario and Babs. I am crossing everything at this point that it's Rosario because not only is he quite a lot of people's suspects compared to Babs, but also while Babs is in the game, she's a guaranteed zero point lock for pretty much everyone on suspect list. So I wanted Babs to stay in this game as long as is physically possible to make my life easier. Rosario's name that gets typed in, his is green, meaning that Babs does get the red screen. And for the second time this season, she gone. <laughs> She gets the Corbin Burnson uh, default red screen treatment, which oddly enough frequently happens at final six when they do that. Even Rick didn't care. Like, he just types her name in, puts the red screen up, and then just shrugs. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this before I knew who went home. Babs was probably the second worst option to go home for me because Anna is obviously the the worst option for me to go home at any week at this point because it eliminates you from the pool, eliminates you from suspect list. And, you know... I get completely eliminated before the finale, which never normally happens. Babs is the second worst just because she's a guaranteed non-mole. She's an easy person to put in zero and guarantee me some points. And yet she gone again. She gone. <laughs> again. I like how when Rick's talking to her and he says, you know, I don't often show someone a red screen twice. And I was thinking, isn't it pretty much the first time he's shown someone a red screen twice? No, because two of his people were in Renaissance. So he's Tina and Nikki. Oh, no, well, Nick, not Nikki, because Nikki won. Um, so Tina. She was in China, Colombian Renaissance? Uh, China and Renaissance. Yeah, on the Nikki point as well, she didn't actually see a red screen in her season. If you remember, she had the weird firework elimination. Oh, yeah, it was a spotlight. It was fireworks, I think. So she never saw a red screen, technically. She says she's grateful for another chance. Everything that came afterwards is a gift. No one suspected her when she came back, but that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And she wills the pot back to Rosario for the moment. Next time, Rianne does a laser game. Rianne does a laser game. Rianne does a laser game. Rosario determines if people have yokers. Fonts looks depressed in the scene. No articles are required. So Babs, is she is she a contender? Is she going to pass uh, Yan as... Worst player ever? Least least skilled mole player ever? 
Well, she didn't go all in until this episode, so I'd probably say no. That's crazy to think that because what place did did Yan finish in in El Salvador, Nicaragua? He only he only got executed once. Babs made to six, and she got to skip out on two rounds and still got executed twice. It just boggles my mind. Just you get executed the first round, you get to skip the next two eliminations, and then you still get executed in one in the in your second execution, returning back to the game. So. She got executed two out of three quizzes. So, with Babs leaving, Logan now just has Fonz on his team, Ayavanna and Michelle is now guaranteed someone in the finale with her complete team of Rosario, Case and Rianne. On first suspicions, we kind of know what I'm going to say. Nobody had Babs as a first suspicion, because if they did, they would have been nuts. And in fact, only two people didn't have her 10th, which was Logan and Shah. The current leader with a score of 22, where the minimum is 15, is Jason, on the other end of the scale, Fuzzy is still propping us up with a score of 33. Unsurprisingly, there's barely any change in the averages either. Anna's now on 1.84, Fonz is on 2.84, Rianne moves up to third with 3.26, Case is on 3.32, and Rosario on 3.74 out of 5. The Dutch suspects this week are Case with 31%, Anna on 23, Fonz on 18, Rianne on 15, and Rosario on 13. Case is up three points, Anna's up two, Fonz is down one, Rianne's down two, and Rosario is down one. Final two questions, who do we suspect? Who's going home? So in order of suspicions, number one, Anna, number two, Rianne, number three, Rosario, number four, Case, number five, Fonz, and then of course I had Babs and dead last going into this execution. And who's going home? Uh, I think Case. I think Case is going to go home. I have a feeling that exemption saved him. I just have a tough time believing that if he was participating in this quiz that he would have been able to outwit Babs somehow. Uh, so Anna, Case, Fons, Rosario, Rian. I mean, it's got to be Case or Rian, honestly. Like, I can't see... Like, it won't be Anna. I think Fons pays too much attention to things, even though he's an idiot. <laughs> I don't think Rosario is going to go home. So either it's got to be either Case or Rianne. And my suspicions are in order. Anna, Case, Rosario, Rianne and Fonz. I mean, I'm deep in the Anna tunnel. I have been all season. If Anna goes home, I'm absolutely buggered. Case has jumped up the list, mainly because it's basically him or Anna at this point, I think. I can't see any of the other three being them all. And then it's Rosario, Rianne and Fonz sort of in an arbitrary order. And I'm going to stick with my jokey answer of last week and say Fonz is going home hopefully so someone from Michelle's team does instead because I still have not guessed it correctly all season long (laughs) (laughs) speaking of teams next week is the last week for the steel isn't it it is yes it is the last week of a switch by the time the next episode airs on Saturday everyone's teams are locked so just to confirm you're not stealing this week I've not decided yet. I've got four days to decide. <laughs> no, I mean for this episode. All oh, right, I'm not. No, I'm not stealing yet. No, Logan, are you stealing? Uh, probably not. Okay, good. Because I, I sent this text message to Fuzzy. In the grand spirit of episode five's world's most boring path of temptation, you can choose the stakes. Number one, do nothing. Number two, predict if the steel will be used by any person in episode seven. If you guess correctly, 
I'm going to basically give her a joker and just mark one of the wrong squares as correct. But if she gets it wrong, I'm going to mark one of the correct squares as incorrect. Number three, predict a specific person who will use the steel, and that's either two jokers or two squares marked incorrect. Or number four, guess a player who is stolen and who they are traded for. And then if she, if she gets it right, it's four jokers. If she gets it wrong, I'd shred four squares. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I got the message back, oh, it is particularly evil. Uh, I made sure I told her, you know, I didn't tell you guys what the what the, the uh, Peter Yunker's gamble was. Yeah. Just so, you know, you couldn't troll her. Um, she sent back the text message, all right, I have made my decision. I will be selecting no steal will occur in episode seven. So she's just won an extra square. Banking on Michael's certainty of Anna being the mole and Logan's tradition of not doing things that would be in his best interest in the pool. <laughs> I don't think there is a better way to end the episode other than fuzzy trolling you, to be honest, honest so. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, thank you for listening to our Beast of All 2024 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another new mole in Mexico. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Logsbrecky, Bindles is a Grim Recapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we will see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next flavoring. Can I finger fonts yet? No. Trust. Okay, quick question. Lots of mosquitoes, Art, Antigo, FMK.